The revolution may not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. I'm your host, Brittany Gallagher. We're bringing you stories about the internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, changing every aspect of our lives, how it's glorious and awe-inspiring, but can also have a dark side, and how maybe we can prevent some of its abuses. Welcome back from the holidays. In this episode, Digital Village founder and veteran Rick Allen will be joined by Tiffany Schlain, an American filmmaker, author, and public speaker. Regarded as an internet pioneer, Tiffany is the founder of the Webby Awards and the co-founder of the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. Rick talks with her about liberating ourselves from our devices and her new book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. We're speeding things up on so many levels, and is that the way we want to live? I don't want people to think that this is inevitable, because we all have choices, and there's personal regulation. And in the book, I really talk about all the things I've learned by doing it, all the benefits and things I've figured out. It's not very hard to do. It's just certain tools you need, like a clock. Talk about all those things. We go analog one day a week, and it's just absolutely delightful. And um, it's good to remember how to live before all this stuff, because at the end of the day... You need to know what it's like to just be. And I think that you do. But first, we'll be joined by Nothing is Secure's Roy Natian to talk about how you can better protect yourself online using two-factor authentication. There are a few things you can do to protect yourself online, like a strong, unique password or even a passphrase for that matter, to using a password manager to help keep track of all that. But nothing is 100% secure, right? Yeah, nothing's 100% secure. There's always more we can do to make it more difficult for the bad guys. Having passwords that are long and unique is the first step, but there's much more you can do to be more secure. My girlfriend's Airbnb account got compromised early last year, and that was because my fitness pal suffered a breach, and she used the same password for my fitness pal in Airbnb. So while having a unique, strong password helps with her Airbnb security, her MyFitnessPal account was still breached. So if you have an account that's breached and the password's stolen, what can you do to be a bit more secure in that situation? One of the things she could have done with her MyFitnessPal account or any other account that had this capability is turn on something called two-factor authentication. If she did, this would have stopped the bad guys right in their tracks. What is two-factor authentication? You've all probably experienced a form of two-factor authentication already. Um, Pretty much every bank account out there now uses it. If you've ever tried to log into your bank account or your cell phone provider's website and they send you a text message with like a four or more digit number that you need to enter before gaining access to your account, that is one example of two-factor authentication. And only you are supposed to know your password, but at the same time, only you are supposed to have access to your phone. So because of this, the password, which only you know, and your phone, which only you have, those two things together provide a really secure way of authenticating that you are who you say you are. So a password by itself, I guess you could consider it to be single factor authentication. Adding a second form of authentication, like getting a text message on your phone, is two factor authentication. So what about the stories that have circulated around, especially around cryptocurrencies in particular, like Bitcoin and people getting to exchanges and you can have your a password and you use two-factor authentication, but then particularly with the text message form of two-factor authentication where the quote-unquote bad guys can get actual access to your phone as well? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Adding two-factor authentication is really useful. It's better than not doing it. But again, nothing's 100% secure. So in the specific case of this SMS form of two-factor authentication, what happens is 
even though you may have that turned on, there's a specific attack called a SIM card clone attack, where basically some bad actor goes ahead and clones your SIM card. And then whenever you input your password or they input your password that they've stolen into a website and a two-factor authentication code gets sent to your number, they also get a copy of that number. And then that gives them access to your account. So this isn't an issue with two-factor authentication. It's more of an issue either with, it's an issue with the security of cellular carriers and maybe your phone itself, but two-factor authentication is still something you should do and turn on. Because you would still get the text message, right? So say they're a bad actor trying to get into your bank account, you just like randomly get this text message. Right. So yeah, this is how all these, how good passwords and two-factor authentication interact. So if your password is weak, it can be cracked more easily and act, or, or if there's a breach, it can be accessed. And if you don't use a unique password, it can be used to try to log into other sites. And if you ever get a text message out of the blue and you didn't try to log in, that's a really good indication that your password is compromised and you should change your password immediately. Change your password. <laughs> Just change. Yeah. Change your password. So there's other forms of two-factor authentication as well. It's not just the SMS version. Could you talk about uh, different types as well? There's one we're really familiar with, fingerprint authentication. So our cell phones have fingerprint readers, or in the case of Apple and other cell phone providers, they have something like Face ID where it scans your face. That's a type of R authentication. See, you are the person that has that face. You are the person that has that fingerprint. Another term for this is biometrics. So since you're the only person that has your face and fingerprint, that's another way to authenticate you. And then there's a third type of authentication, which is have authentication. What uh, a low-tech example of this would be the keys to your home. Only you and you know your family members or authorized people are supposed to have the key to your home, right? So that's a low-tech example. When you receive a text message on your phone or you use like an authenticator app, that's another type of have authentication because theoretically only you have access to your phone. In addition to the SMS two-factor authentication, the other most common form of two-factor authentication would be using an authenticator app. So instead of receiving an SMS, you have an app on your phone that generates uh, a six-digit number every 30 seconds. The bank, your cellular carrier, whatever website has that same number that cycles every 30 seconds. So if you input that correct number after entering your password, you'll gain access to your account. But you have to remember to keep a backup of the Authenticator app. Some of us may have learned about that the hard way. This is one of the important things to consider when you implement security strategies. Do you have certain backups to gain access to your account if you lose access to your phone, if you lose access to um, a lot of websites provide you with a specific recovery code, which is basically a second password. It's supposed to be kept secret. And if you ever lose access to your phone or whether, whatever device is providing your second form of authentication, that code can be inputted instead of your authentication code. And the recovery code will give you access to your account. And at that point, once you get access, you have to set up two-factor authentication from scratch again right away because those recovery codes only are usable once. The other thing is when you turn on two-factor authentication, a lot of websites provide multiple ways to do two-factor authentication at the same time. So Google, for example, provides pretty much every consumer-friendly way there is to provide two-factor authentication. When you log into your Gmail account and go to your security settings, you can add two-factor authentication through SMS, two-factor authentication with an authenticator app, two-factor authentication with a physical security key. And security keys are a great way to do two-factor authentication because they're basically a physical key that can't be copied and you're in possession of that. So someone would have to actually steal that off you to use that 
to access your account. And Google also provides authentication through the Gmail app. So if you log in, a pop-up will appear in Gmail asking you, did you try to log in? That's another form of authentication. In addition to having good passwords that are long and unique, turning on two-factor authentication is one of the simplest and easiest things you can do that will immensely increase your security. In fact, it's so effective that when Google implemented a policy a couple years ago for its 85,000 employees to use two-factor authentication for all their accounts, their incidents of being breached with phishing attacks went down to zero. How do you turn on two-factor authentication? Most websites are pretty similar when it comes to two-factor authentication, if they have it, that is. You go to the settings to your website, into the security area, wherever the password section is, and you should see somewhere around there the option to turn on two-factor authentication. If you want more specific examples, there's a good website, twofactorauth.org. That's auth as in A-U-T-H. It provides a little search engine where you can search for services on that site, and it'll show you what kind of two-factor authentication the service has and some instructions on how to activate two-factor authentication for that specific site or service. The two most common types of two-factor authentication are SMS-based and uh, Authenticator app-based. There are a lot of different Authenticator apps you can use to set up with two-factor authentication. Google Authenticator is one of the more common ones. Authy is another good one. LastPass Authenticator is another common one as well. If you can use an app instead of SMS, that is preferable. But if the only option is SMS authentication, go ahead and turn on the two-factor authentication with SMS. It's better than nothing. That was Roy Natian about how two-factor authentication can help throw more roadblocks in front of the bad guys online. You can find out more about Roy and how to protect yourself at secureyourself.org. Up next, Rick Allen is joined by Tiffany Schlain, founder of the Webby Awards and author of 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. everyone. This is Rick Allen from Digital Village. I'm speaking with Tiffany Schlein. Hello. Nice to be here. Tiffany and I have known each other since in the late 90s when uh, you were just co-founding the Webby Awards, which is uh, now known as the Oscars of the Web. That was many moons and many lifetimes ago, and many internets ago. <laughs> yes, and many, and, and, and <laughs> that's that's true, and and many interviews ago too. Many internets and interviews ago. Right. Yes. I hope not to take too much of the time, but the intro is long. Besides being a Webby Award founder, Tiffany Schlain has received over eighty awards and distinctions for her film and work, including inclusion in the Albert Einstein Foundation, a book and initiative, Genius, One Hundred Visions for the Future. Future, as one of the women shaping the 21st century. She is also co-founder. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. <laughs> uh, well, you're going to blush some more, Tiffany. She is also co-founder of 5050 Day, Character Day, and the International Academy of Arts and Sciences. Now, her first book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week, uh, was published uh, by Simon & Schuster's Gallery Books uh, just this fall. 
And the book explores the family's decade-long transformative practice of turning off screens one day each week for what they call the technology Shabbats. The past, present, and future of technology and the effects our 24-7 world has on us as individual relationships and society. Now, more about the book in a moment, but um, uh, Tiffany has premiered four films at Sundance, including her uh, acclaimed documentary Connected, an autobiography about love, death, and technology. And uh, let me see, what else? Oh my gosh, there's another page, Tiffany. No, don't read it. It's fine. It's just me. Just, I'm just an author today. Uh, okay, Talking good. Talking to you as an author of the book. Okay. Back to the book, and it's so funny because I was reading sections of it, and uh, at the same time that my phone ran out of power, sure enough, I went to use my phone at heaven, and I thought, oh, this is perfect, so I just left it there. And you know what, Tiffany? You're right. It was a liberating act. Yeah, liberating feeling. I think people have been so long without having their phone just attached to them every second that... You know, when I turn it off once a week, that is the the word that best describes the way I feel is liberated. Liberated from being available to everyone, everything, and being so connected that I really don't even feel like I can have my own thoughts without it being influenced by so many other thoughts. But that's the word, liberated. That's the way I feel each week for yeah. a full day. Now, you've been doing this with your wonderful family, uh, your husband's another genius. And wait till these kids grow up. They're going to be the same way, I think. But you've been doing this with your family for about 10 years now. Uh, you, yeah. you, you want to tell people just what you went through and uh, why you put it in the book? Yeah, I I, never, I didn't really kind of set out on writing a book about this, but 10 years ago, I had a couple of dramatic events happen that led me to really rethink the way I was living my life. And I, I lost my father and our, my husband and my daughter was born was within days of each other. Yeah. And it was just like one of those moments where I felt like life was grabbing me by the shoulders and just going, focus on what's important. You know, you don't know how long you're going to be here and do like the way you're living. And I just felt so distracted by that phone. And I just felt like I was never in any moment truly because I was always half here, half there. So we started turning off screens from Friday night to Saturday night. We call it our tech Shabbats. Mm-hmm. It felt so good and amazing. And I should say I'm Jewish, but we're not religious. But And maybe we had done Shabbat dinner occasionally. But what I came to understand is that this full day of rest, which, of course, is a thousands-of-year-old practice, right. which we're just updating for modern society in our way, no screens, for a full day every week and doing it each week and looking forward to it each week, it has become our favorite day of the week. And the longer we've done it, and it's been so transformative on our sense of connection and creativity and productivity and balance, so many things, the longer we were doing it, the more crazy it felt like everyone was getting staring at their phones all the time. So the longer we were doing it, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to share this. It's um, this free, simple practice that's changed my life. And obviously, I have a lot of thoughts about technology. I love technology. I don't hate it. I just hate the way we're living right now. I hate the 24-7-ness of it and that no one is giving themselves any time to be without it. And they've forgotten literally how good it feels to just be disconnected, to to reconnect and to have your own thoughts and have time for reflection and have time where you're not getting input or are available to the entire world. And I worry, I feel like, you know, on a personal level, I see the effects, but then also for our democracy, I think The reason we have this president we have is because he's the master of distraction. And we have this conduit for him, this device for him to just keep us stressed out and distracted so much. 
There's also issues of our data being sold and us being manipulated. So in the book, it's, you know, it's part memoir on my thoughts about tech and my experience doing this practice for a decade. Um, and then it's very practical advice on how to integrate this into your life, how to convince people in your life to do it with you, your bosses, your friends, your kids, but then also big picture proposals for the tech industry and for society at large, because, you know, I think there's a missing voice in the conversation around tech from a woman in tech like myself and also a mother, because I I think that these devices that are taking away all eye contact isn't good for anything, and we need to remember the importance of being present, of reflection, of doing nothing, of being bored, of just thinking and being by ourselves. It takes great courage to understand how to just be with yourself. Right, and by eye contact, you mean actual human eye contact, not just <laughs> not just looking at each other's face through the phones. Exactly right. Yeah, it's a very different experience, yeah. So you did this for 10 years, and tell us a little about the evolution of what you went through and what you learned and, and how hard it was to do and uh, some of the slip-ups, so some said? of the backsliding that we all go through. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're human, so <laughs> for 10 years we've done it nearly every weekend, but then there's like a handful of weekends every year where we have to travel, there's something, you can't keep it all the way. Or, right. but And I have a whole chapter on making rules and breaking them because... That's important to remember that nothing is ironclad in anything. Um, however, this boundary that we've created of no screens from Friday night to Saturday night is literally, I feel like, such an important boundary that what technology did in so many ways was remove all boundaries. You can work from anywhere. You can do anything from anywhere. You can be connected to everyone all the time, but actually creating some boundaries to have some space to kind of think and be with the people right in front of you is really important, too. So it was not hard for me to do because I told you I was at this moment where I wasn't feeling present. And the first time we did it for this event called National Day of Unplugging, which was like one ceremonial day where everyone turned off the screens, it felt so good. Right. And I just couldn't wait to do it again. And now, I mean, I really, you know, Friday afternoon, uh, I'm, I do some simple things. I print out what we have to do on Saturday, if anything, although I try not to plan a lot any maps, whatever. And, um, and then we always have people over Friday night. That's always a very fun night because no one has their phone out or on. And then I'm, I have a piece of paper with a Sharpie of anything that kind of tumbles from my head of what I might need to do or think of or to-do list. But then after like the first hour, I just feel set free, like we talked about earlier. I just feel kind of like my best version of myself on Saturday because I, you know, I've slept really well. There's no phone in my bed. I just... <laughs> I think in a different way, uh, and in the book has a lot of neuroscience. I've made a lot of films about neuroscience, neuroscience of creativity and daydreaming, and talk a lot about the physiology, how important it is to put your mind in a state where you're not getting input. It's great, you know, and our daughters are 16 and 10, and they get so much out of it, too. My daughter's in her most stressful year of high school, so she's always psyched to just not have homework, and I think that's a a big thing is that a day of rest, like giving yourself a true day of rest. I mean, in today's modern society, even our leisure, when you have to take a photo of it and write a caption and put a filter and post it and see what people said, blah, 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 it becomes, it starts to feel like work too. So a true day of rest of just not doing any output and not producing and not monetizing and optimizing every second is really important. And again, I really don't come at this from a religious place, although I have great respect for people that do a like formal Shabbat. 
Um, You know, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you don't drive, you don't use money, and that's, you know, that's a whole other thing, too. That's not the way I'm approaching it, but I I love the wisdom of the concept of Shabbat, which is this, it's also known as the Sabbath, this concept of a day of rest. And we don't have it at all anymore, and I don't think it's good for ourselves, our kids, our workplace, like this whole kind of 24-7, like that's the goal. We're open 24-7, available 24-7. It's like, you know, actually that's going to burn everyone out like the 24-7 news cycle, and we're just like, do we need to know, like, every second what's happening in the news, like, all throughout the day? Or is that too much to handle? Like, is it better to know it maybe in the morning, in the evening, or just the evening? Because there's only so much we can humanly take in without being in a constant state of cortisol and amygdala and stress. And, (laughs) you know, we just need to think about we're speeding things up on so many levels, and is that the way we want to live? I don't want people to think that this is inevitable because we all have choices, and there's personal regulation like this practice. And in the book, I really talk about you know all the things I've learned by doing it, all the benefits and things I've figured out. It's not very hard to do. It's just certain tools you need, like a clock. I wear, I have a watch again. <laughs> you know, I have a landline. <laughs> I talk about all those things. We go analog one day a week, and it's just absolutely delightful. And um, it's good to remember how to live before all this stuff, because at the end of the day, what is being human about? Do you need to know what it's like to just be? And I think that you do. Yes, that is that is one of the things I like about your book is that you you go into the psychological effects and the, you know the effects of rest and uh, a, a lot of other things not only tech, technologically but personally that uh, humans go through. Uh, just to remind listeners, uh, this is Rick Allen with Digital Village, and I am speaking with Tiffany Schlein. We uh, Tiffany and I go way back to when she founded uh, the Webby Awards, which are yeah, still going on, it, like in the night. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, through so many other things, uh, so so many internets and interviews. uh, (laughs) It's so funny because some of my uh, favorite people have uh, said something about your book. Uh, Vint Cerf, co-creator of the internet, quote, she convinced me that a day of disconnection is a path toward reconnection to the rest of our lives. And here's here's one by Gene Rogers, uh, director of Children's Screen Time Action Network. Tiffany Slane is a 21st century martial McLuhan, reminding us that having the best of both worlds is not getting consumed by one. That ties everything in, Tiffany, because, you know, the, the name of the show, Digital Village, was yeah, was yeah. after Marshall McLuhan's Global Village. But we, right. uh, but the, my point was, hey, we uh, he was almost right, except for the except for the tied in by TVs. It's going it's mm. turned out to be tied in by computers, which are fast becoming TVs now, too. So he, mm. they're <laughs> everything. They're all of it at once. Yeah. That, yeah, that's right. I'm so glad you reminded me about the name of your show. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I yes. I mean, I think it's just with every great communication revolution, which McLuhan certainly wrote about a lot. Mm-hmm. We, as a species, need to just identify what parts are making our lives better and when do we feel like it's diminishing. And I've been on book tour for the last two months since the book came out, and I've been at so many different kinds of events, different age groups, different socioeconomic backgrounds, the whole whole Megillah. And everywhere I've gone, just people look at me like I'm on my screen too much. It doesn't feel good. On some deep level, everyone knows there's something not right about how they can't go for like more than 20 seconds without um, being on their screen. 
Right. And the book Tiffany is talking about, dear listeners, is 24-6 is the name of the book. And uh, what is the uh, the uh, subtitle to that, Tiffany, so we get the it all po- in? Yeah, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. And if you go to 24-6-LIFE, and that's 24-S-I-X-LIFE.com, um, I can show you how to get the book at independent bookstores or, of course, if you want to just get it from Amazon. But I also have a lot of resources because I'm a filmmaker by nature, so I've made a lot of films on the subject. So there's lots of, if you want to get the book and try this, I have a lot of support for how to integrate this or inspire this practice and to do this into your life. Because it, again, it just feels like it's um, this secret sauce that's free and simple and it just can make things so much better because it just gives you the perspective that you lose from being online all the time. Right. But just somehow having just that one day every week, it like resets you. So you feel completely reset and recharged. And then I get much more intentional with the way I use it the other six days. And I get that reset every week. I do all these interventions all throughout the week that I talk about in the book too, like carry around a notebook. And so instead of when you're waiting for something, everyone just pulls out their phone and then they're lost down the rabbit hole. But I have a blank notebook. I have a written daytime planner. I do all these things to kind of remind myself how good it feels to not always be on that screen and influenced by other things and other people all the time. Right. And speaking of uh, films, Let It Ripple is still going on? Yeah, letitripple.org. And in fact, a couple new films we made um, that go with the book. One's called Dear Parent, Dear Two Minutes. One's called Dear Student, also Two Minutes, around the issues around screen use. And in 2020, we're going to be releasing Dear CEO, Dear Legislator, Dear Fellow Human, that all kind of approach the issues around screen from all the different perspectives. Right. Yeah. So I still run. That's my film studio in San Francisco. Right. You had a a great concept talking about being everywhere and having everyone uh, join in at once. Uh, Oh, yeah. Our Global Days was a discussion. Yeah, we still do this. We just had Character Day, and we've done one on gender equity called 5050 Day. So that to me is like the best use of the web. So from our film studio in San Francisco, we... I interview all the great thinkers on a subject like on gender equity or positive psychology or something. And then people all over the world have their own live events where they show our movies. And then we link them all together online with these luminary speakers on the subject. And we pop into different events all over the world. So that to me is like when the Internet shines. That's when the digital village is at its finest. Uh-huh. So I am not in any way like what I would love us to do is look to the examples like Wikipedia or all these examples when it's at its finest. And then when are the parts that are bringing out the worst of us? You know, and how can we look at those two and take a beat and think about those and be more intentional with the way we use it personally and as a society? Right. And speaking of Wikipedia, if uh, all those things uh, we I didn't have time to tell you about the accomplishments of Tiffany Schlein, uh, you can <laughs> check out Wikipedia and you'll be blown away. I won't make you blush anymore, Tiffany. Okay, okay, okay. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> so, uh, okay, we got to wrap up here, but um, anything else you'd uh, like to remind us of? Are you uh, still on what? tour for the 24 yeah, 6 book? Yeah, I'm still on book? tour. So, if people want to find out where I'm going to be, I have a lot of dates coming up in 2020 mm-hmm. and in this next month. So just go to 246life, so 24 the number, and then sixlife.com. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm on Twitter at Tiffany Schlein and Instagram. Six and days a week think- only. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rick. It was a pleasure talking to you.
That was Digital Village's veteran Rick Allen with Tiffany Shalane on how we should really unplug one day a week. She talks about this and more in her book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. We've covered protecting yourself online with two-factor authentication on Nothing is Secure and, of course, the power of unplugging. That's it for Digital Village. I'm Brittany Gallagher at In a Quantum World. You can hear this episode again and more by subscribing to our podcast and following us on all things social using at Digital V Radio or at digitalvillage.org. A special thank you to Nothing is Secure's Roy Natian and Evo Jansen for all our music. We'll be back next week with The Future of Food with Dr. Junax up Starships and more. Until then, Rick and I will see you online. <laughs>